Hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in on this Thursday, November 5th. Remember, remember the 5th of November. I tell you, man, signs. There are signs everywhere if you're paying attention. All I can tell you is just pay attention to the signs that is being shown to you for your life. Be aware of what's going on around you. Know the facts. Know how to determine the difference between opinions and facts. Because there are a lot of opinions out there that can sound like facts. And it's up to you to research to know the difference. Like Smokey the Bear says, only you can prevent forest fires. So what I'm going to be talking about today is the Oregon bill and everything that's going on over there with that because this is monumental. You have no idea. You have no idea how monumental this is. So we're, I'm going to be breaking this down. We're going to go through it and I'm going to just... Um, because I don't know too much about it, so I'm, I'm going to read an article from ABC and we're getting ready to listen to what Good Morning America has to say about it. So from there, we can break it down and hopefully I can provide enough correct information for my listeners to, to understand what what is really going on with this bill. So here is Good Morning America. And a first in the nation in Oregon. Voters deciding there to decriminalize possession of small amounts of all drugs, including heroin, cocaine, and meth. Those found in possession will now have the option to pay a fine or go to a free recovery center. Also on the ballot in five states, legalization of marijuana. Four states, Arizona, Montana, South Dakota, and New Jersey, all voting to allow recreational marijuana use, while Mississippi voting to allow the use of medical marijuana. We'll check in with Dr. Jennifer Ashton and get her take on all this. So you heard what we just said about Oregon and, and the hard drugs there. Um, how is the medical community viewing this? Well, obviously, Robin, there are pros and cons to it, and there is a difference between decriminalizing and legalizing drugs. Um, and this is a perfect example of where there's really an intersection between societal and political and ethical and medical issues from a medical standpoint, it's really about shifting that paradigm from looking at people either as criminals first or as people with a drug abuse, addiction, or dependence problem and shifting the resources and efforts into getting them treatment so that they can become, you know, in recovery. Right, and Portugal passed a law like this. Did we learn anything from this? Well, again, it's not exactly the same, but we have learned some lessons. Portugal went through this about 20 years ago, and according to a recent study, they saw a decrease in the per capita social costs associated with uh, drug use by about 18%. They saw a drop in the percentage of people in prison for drug um, violations by about 20%. They did not see an increase or a surge in drug use, and they saw more people in treatment um, so that is, you know, some encouraging signs there. And again, it's not exactly the same right, as the United right. States, but it's promising. Yeah, it, uh, there might be some signs there. Could this possibly go the way of marijuana? Remember back in the day, it was very unusual for a state, and then we saw all the states that, that passed it. And 
how the medical professionals could they um, have a have a say in that in any kind of way? Do you think? Well, remember, right now the field of medical cannabis is in its infancy, and there's a lot of promise there. Uh, ear, nose, and throat specialists use cocaine medically. Heroin is an opiate, so there are some medical differences here. But right now, Robin, so many medical professionals feeling that they've lost their leverage in benefiting uh, society by um, being able to motivate behavior. So time will tell. Yes, it will. All right, Jen. Thank you so much. Okay, mm. very, very powerful. The first thing I hear from that is, is you have, you have 20 years ago, they say, give me one second to stop this commercial here. So 20 years ago, Portugal has done this, 20 years ago. And we're just now deciding to to give this a shot after 20 years of, of study. So, listen, what do I know? You know, I don't know the process of what goes through that, um, the research. 20 years seems like a long time to me, but 20 years in, 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 is a grain of, of sand. It's a second in... in you know, in, in the lapse of time. So what do I know? All I know is it's it's starting. And, and I applaud that. I applaud Oregon for taking this step. I applaud the voters for taking this step because this is going to be a monumental shift in how we deal with addiction, trauma, uh, incarceration. This is going to shift so many things. So we as a nation really need to pay attention to this and support it, get behind it, and, and help it make it successful. So I'm going to go ahead and read the article from ABC <clears throat> uh, titled Decriminalizing Drugs in Oregon, a Victory for Common Sense and for Science. Oregon became the first U.S. state to decriminalize all drugs with voters overwhelmingly supporting a ballot measure on Tuesday intended to reduce arrest and improve access to addiction treatments. Passing measure 110 means Oregon residents no longer can be arrested or imprisoned for possessing small amounts of substances such as heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, or LSD. That does not mean the drugs are legal. Instead, the measures reduces the offense to a non-criminal offense and a maximum fine of $100 and mandates establishing an addiction treatment program funded in part by taxes from marijuana sales. Okay. The importance of this is one... I see crime being reduced in the fact that you're taking some of the pressure off these individuals that have an addiction and you're focusing more on that addiction versus 
criminalizing this person. And, and that pressure is released off of this person of knowing that they're, they're committing criminal activity that can land them in jail because they're willing to take that risk for that addiction. That is very important. A lot of us that has never had that sort of addiction, you know, as far as drugs and criminal activity, um, because we're all addicted to something. And that's how we have to relate to people that are addicted to drugs and, and other things of that nature. Because we all have some sort of addiction, whether it's food, gambling, porn, um, work, uh, cleaning, whatever, whatever you find an outlet for and you become addicted to that outlet, right? That is, that is the addiction. And it, it can be in, in so many different things, but we write that stuff off. You know, if someone is addicted to work and they're a workaholic and they're, they're doing the same traits as what an, a person addicted to drugs is, is doing. A workaholic is spending way too many hours focused on work. The family's paying the price to that. They're, you know, they're, they're usually create some sort of disconnect and animosity within the family because the family is, is second to, to the work. And it's the same thing with drugs. You know, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with drugs. You know, that addiction, that drug is is first amongst everything. So with this being decriminalized, now it allows me to carry a small amount of drugs on me. And it's it's. I'll go through and see what these, if, if it labels, I know that one of these articles, it labels in there what those amounts are. I don't know if it's this particular one, but I will go to the other one. If not, it's, it's, a, it's an amount that you carry on you that is, is sustainable for, for one good high, you know? Um, so that the amount of, of, whatever it is, the cocaine, the methamphetamine, the heroin, the LSD was always a felony charge, no matter what the amount was, even if you had traces of it, even if you had just paraphernalia that had traces of any of those substances, it's still a felony and you're still going to go um, to felony court. You're going to have a felony record and it's going to spiral out of control from there. What they do here, as long as you, you're within the, the legal amounts, right, you're not, that's not going to happen to you now. Now you're just going to get a $100 fine, which I read in another article, can be written off when you establish a link with addiction treatment program. And trust me, if it's funded by taxes for marijuana sales, these programs should be very, very top of the notch and, and have verified, um, well-established doctors that, that can deal with, with these issues. And as I've shown on my show, you know, these issues spawn from 99.9% .9 of the time, some sort of unchecked childhood trauma that we just don't know how to deal with, you know? how to deal with, how to face. We don't know how to, to find the truth in what, what we've known and experienced. 
because through our lives we've manipulated that trauma in so many different ways for us to be able to deal with it to survive on a daily basis you know so people turn to drugs people turn to porn people turn to to whatever you know so passing this is is monumental man it really is so moving forward um Quoting the lady that we just heard, I think it's a wonderful victory for common sense and for science. Kate Chatfield, Senior Advisor for Legislation and Policy at the Justice Collaborative, a criminal justice research and advocacy organization. It's trying to use an arrest as an opportunity point. It's trying to use an arrest as an opportunity point. That's as well said. The ballot measure is not a law, meaning a council needs to figure out the details before it is implemented. But if the reform is effectively executed, there are at least two major public health benefits it could yield, according to Leo Beletsky, a professor of law and health sciences at Northeastern University. It's a very good, very good university. You want your child to be a scientist, that's the university to go to. Just my opinion. Fewer drug arrests should reduce Oregon's residents' interaction with the criminal justice and legal systems and in turn limit their risk for health problems associated with incarceration, including COVID-19 infection and drug overdose, Beletsky said. In his estimation, reinvesting criminal justice savings in under-resourced health and addiction services would go even further to make the measure successful. I agree, and this is this is again what you know what we're what we're talking about. You know, like if we want to solve the problem, we have to attack the problem. We cannot ignore it and hope that it goes away. This is what we did in the eighties. We didn't know how to deal with the epidemic that was coming on, the crack epidemic. Now I mean, I have my own theories. Of course, it was allowed to, to, to continue and there was an agenda behind it, you know. And but but with that aside, right, we didn't know how to deal with the crack epidemic. We had the crack epidemic and then we had AIDS hitting us from both sides. Right. And we didn't know how to deal with it then. And then you had the opioid crisis, you know, and we didn't know how to deal with that. And we don't know how to deal with it now. You know, I applaud what they did. It should have it been done a long time ago. And that's making a centralized database for all medical prescriptions. So you can't go to New York and get scripts from doctors up there and then come to Florida and get scripts, you know, from a doctor down here. Um but in the event of doing that, it was such a drastic change. It, it it cut off people that millions and millions of people that were already addicted to these opioids. And the closest feeling that you can get from pills is heroin, you know, and it's cheaper. So this is how you get addicted to heroin. It all starts with it all it, it can start with an accident and going seeing a doctor because you're in pain and you get subscribed these pills and you're on these these pain pills 
for five months, six months, Percocets. Now all of a sudden the doctor says, well, I have to, I have to cut you off. Now, if you're a strong enough individual, you can, you can, you can stop, you know, and if you were smart enough through that, you were, you were patiently taking your time and, and taking these pills. You only took them when you necessarily had to, like you could not bear the pain versus just waking up and taking the pill because you don't want to feel the pain. So doctor cut you out six months later, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You, you know, if, if, if you're not strong enough to cut it out, you start going through withdrawals. You want those withdrawals to end. You want them to stop. That's what every addictive person wants to avoid. That's the number one thing. That's what causes them to do the actions that they do is they do not want to go into withdrawal because it is the most abhorrent, absolutely hell-defining experience that you can go through. So it's the constant need to avoid withdrawals. Not so much the constant need to get high, but the constant need to avoid withdrawals. That's very important to understand. And now you're able to to avoid that somewhat. This is going to take the edge off people, if nothing else. So moving forward, we have one potential pitfall to guard against is ensuring law enforcement does not initiate encounters based on drugs, then arrest individuals for non-drug related crimes. You need monitoring, training, and other measures to minimize such shifts. So again, one potential pitfall to guard against is ensuring law enforcement does not initiate encounters based on drugs, then arrest individuals for non-drug related crimes. So as to say, you know that this individual is high, you see this individual steal somebody's purse off a table, you go and you arrest this individual for that theft, knowing that the theft initiated from the individual being high. So so that defeats the purpose is what they're saying. So it's the training within the officer to spot and recognize. Again, I applaud Oregon, man. So it's the training within the, the officer to spot and, and, and realize that this individual, yes, they're committing a crime, but they're creating, they're, they're committing a crime created from, uh, created from a, a, a you know, an urgency of need, you know, in their minds. So again, it's, it's understanding the moment that we're in, you know, man, I applaud Oregon. This is a great, great step forward, Oregon. That's especially important given the racial disparities often seen among those arrested for drug possession. Despite some similar use, usage rates, black Americans are almost four times more likely to be arrested for having marijuana, according to the American Civil Liberties Union. And, and I can understand that. To be black in America, you, you, have to, you have to be high. I can understand that. So, Measure 110 receives widespread support from civil rights 
and physician groups, including the ACLU of Oregon, NAACP Portland, the Oregon Nurses Association, and the Oregon chapter of the American College of Physicians, a well from Facebook, CEO Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Dr. Priscilla Chan, who donated $500,000 towards getting it passed. Zuckerberg. I applaud you, Zuckerberg, but it should have been a million. Come on, man. 500000 that's $10 to you. Advocates hope passing the measure in Oregon, which trends ahead of the curve on drug reform, is a sign that decriminalizing drugs could spread to other states, similar to how marijuana legalization efforts have. Oregon has been on the vanguard of reform for decades and will be closely watched as a model for other states, Beletsky said. The latest in that legalization wave are Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota, where voters approved measures to legalize recreational marijuana, and Mississippi, where voters approved a measure to legalize medical marijuana. Perhaps most notably, Tuesday's war on drugs rebuttal, rebuttal, Thursday, excuse me, Tuesday's war on drugs rebuttal was limited to liberal states. The voters are so ahead of the legislators, Chatfield said. So, let's see, that's pretty much it. Our current approaches have clearly failed and have never worked in the first place, Beletsky added. Voters are hungry for change and drug policy. Hmm. Voters are hungry for change in drug policy. No, voters are hungry for their loved ones to come home. Voters are hungry for, 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 the, for this facade to stop because they know it's a facade. You know, we're hungry for, for change. We've been wanting change. We're hungry for somebody to listen. That's what we're hungry for. But, but like America... As in everything else, it, it has to it has to be disastrous before change can come, you know. I, and I don't understand that because paths have been been laid out, you know. There's there's in in almost in almost every in every avenue of America, you know. In in in, in the racial aspect, I mean, we had we had monumental leaders back in the '60s that were warning us about what was to come and and we killed them. And now here, 2020, look what we have. Now everywhere you see in commercials, Black Lives Matter. Stop it, man. Why do we have to have such chaotic, disastrous moments before change can occur? Why can't we just listen and hear and ask questions as a country so we can build upon that and grow. I don't get it. I don't get it. So, not to get too political into that, but again, it, it all comes. It all boils down to self-awareness. You know, it all boils down to self-awareness. If I want change in America, I have to be the change. You have to be the change, and that's the change in in what we do every day. If we find it hard to open the door for somebody else, we have to ask ourselves, why do I have an issue opening the door for this person or holding the door for this person or whatever? 
But this right here with Oregon, this is a great step forward. Now, I don't want people to, to think that now we're going to have a bunch of crazy, drugged-out people running around in the streets. I don't, I don't think it's going to be that at all, you know. I think it's, it's, it's going to, to stop that a little bit. It's, it's going to put an edge on that. Of course, you're still going to have issues. We're not trying to, to go from 100% to zero in one day. All we're trying to do is just stop the influx, you know, or slow it down, rather, excuse me. We're just trying to, to slow that down, to dial it back some, to see some sort of progress because we have saw, we, we, we've seen no progress. There's been no progress. There's only been regression. Our, our prisons are, they're full. You can't, you can't put any more people in them. And I'm saying this literally. You cannot put no more people in prison. And, and again, George Bush signed the bill back when he was president. There will be no more funding going into building prisons. There will be no more building prisons. That's when the, the privatization came in. Now, maybe that was a plan of his. I don't know. You know, I don't know. All I know is it was done and privatization took over. And they started building prisons. Now you have corporations building prisons, profiting off these things. And, and I'm sure that the tax havens, you know, somebody would have to cue me in on how the tax process will work through through a company opening its own prison, you know, but so, so you can't put any more people in prison, yet our laws aren't changing. They're not changing. This is why I say about this 95, this 94 crime bill, you can sit up here and you can tell me all day how sorry you are, but there's never been no attempt to change that bill. You can sit here and you can tell me that while you were vice president, the, the Republicans had the House. That may be true. But yet the bill was 85% Democratic vote. So the point of the point of what I'm saying there is that we've never changed the policy to stop the inflow. The inflow was greater than the outflow. So what 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 kind of recipe do you think you're going to have when you when you stop building prisons but yet your inflow versus your outflow is still drastically different? What do you think is going to happen? But there was never nothing put in place for that. Because nobody never wants to talk about prisons. Nobody never wants to talk about reform because it just seems like there's always other shit going on. We're so invested in so many other things going on and prison has always been on the bottom of the list. Criminal justice reform has always been on the bottom of the list. Equality has always been on the bottom of the list. And this is what you have now because you can only sweep so much dirt up under the rug before you start tripping over the lumps and you lift the rug to find out what the hell you're tripping over. And then you see all the dirt that's laying there. So this is what we have. And now we're busting at the seams for change. And look what we're doing. Look, look, just, just look where we're at. 
You can't believe anything that you hear on TV because it's filled with agenda. All the news media uh, you know, outlets, for the most part, 90% of them are, are all you know, left-guided, left-minded thinking. So even though you change the channel, you're still going to end up on the same agenda, even though in your mind you're thinking that you're, you have the right to choose. But you really don't because it's the same message. The same agenda, and 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 that's it. So, you know, what 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 do we do? We have to change something. We have to change something. And this is a big step by Oregon, man. I really really applaud this, and I'm really interested to see and get opinions on on this here on this topic. I don't, you know, when it comes to incarceration and it comes to, to these guys, you know, you got guys that, you still have guys that are incarcerated for marijuana doing life sentences, you know, and I'm sure, I'm more than positive that these cases are probably being ran through. That takes a long time to run through these cases, that I can tell you, you know, it's a very meticulous because the government does not want to release anyone period unless they're the you know they're forced to the the you know the individuals at the end of their sentence or you know there's some constitutional law that changes that they have to release this person but trust me when i tell you trust me when i tell you that the government will go through that case with a fine comb to investigate and find any reason why not to release this individual this, that's how determined they are to keep people incarcerated. They go to all extents, all extents, even, even corruption. You know, even even through my experience, you know, my whole experience was just corrupt, and there was nothing I could do about it. You know, and this is the thing: is that we 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 go through so much to incarcerate, but we're not going to that extent to rehabilitate. Again, because us as a nation, we don't want, there's, there's so many other distractions. We don't want to hear about criminal justice reform. We don't want to hear about these individuals that are coming back into our society, into our communities. We don't want to hear about how they're doing or if they've been rehabilitated. We just expect that that's going to happen. We expect that when you take this individual and lock them away in, in 10 buck fucking two, that when this individual comes back, that they're going to be a respectful, you know, a, a citizen. We don't we don't care about the process and how it's done. And of course, the government doesn't care because the government is always about penal, you know. And and that's another issue that we have to overcome. We have to get the federal government, us as a nation, we have to get the federal government out of the penal system. The federal government has no business arresting people at the state level it's unheard of the federal government to to my you know to 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 my knowledge was put in place to to guide all of the quote unquote united states you had the states that created a union you know and 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 the federal government was put in place to just ensure that these states 
we're all created equal in a sense and to protect our borders from foreign invaders. I don't think our federal government was put in place to, to create a criminal uh, a penal code towards events or, or, or crimes that are established within state borders. I don't understand why the state cannot handle these charges. A lot of times the state will pass over these charges to the federal government because the state may not have enough evidence because you have two different codes of conduct between the two entities. They are two separate entities. And I have seen individuals get charged for the same, the same crime, the same crime. And I've seen individuals have to do state time and fed time because they're two different entities. This is what needs to stop. This is what needs to stop. If you want to understand conspiracy and how it evolved, how it was born, and how it was brought into our system, there's a great documentary on Netflix called Fear City, and that talks about the mafia and how they brought the mafia down, Rudy Giuliani and, and, and the federal government, and how they taught the local detectives the local precincts, um, how to properly use the RICO charge. Because up until then, nobody understood what RICO was and nobody understood how to use RICO. And they were using it improperly. So goes, you know, the story in the documentary. And, you know, this individual came along and... Uh, taught the precincts on proper the, the proper way to use the RICO charge and which ultimately um, landed the bosses, the, the, the you know, the, the godfathers, the, the, you know, the, the upper echelon of, of the criminal society in, in prison because they were untouchable. Because without this RICO charge, without conspiracy, you're, you're arresting these foot soldiers for, for petty little crimes that they go do a year or whatever, and then another soldier would just come in and take their place. And because of the, you know, the oath of omerita, you know, the, the, you know, the, the code of silence, you, you, you couldn't get anybody to tell. So these individuals came along and it influenced and taught the local precincts on the RICO law, which is racketeer, racketeering influenced and corrupt organizations. So, long story short, you know, you check out check out how how conspiracy was born in Fear City. I don't want to spend too much time on that. But what I do want to go into is because of the, this, this RICO law now and what they were able to do with the mafia, they then took that knowledge and applied it in every facet of law that they could not prove a case otherwise. So now, if you can't catch an individual doing what they're doing because their organization is so tightly knit that you're unable to penetrate it, now you start getting into RICO and conspiracy. And that will allow them to penetrate and take down the whole organization. Now, as you heard in the first episode, uh, 
you know, case law with Courtney, where we talk about conspiracy. She talks about the unconstitutionality of, of conspiracy, and I wholeheartedly agree. And this is one of the reasons why I have to push my message to the American people, because because of this conspiracy charge, it's it's been allowed to run rampant. It has been allowed to run rampant through our society. And now the police departments, detectives, they rely on conspiracy more than anything else. And what I mean by that is what, again, Courtney and I spoke about in our second episode. Now it takes the detective work out of, 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 of the crime. Now detectives, they're, they're not so apt to go out and, and process the evidence themselves. They don't have to do no work because, because of RICO and the way that it's designed and the way that conspiracy is designed, it allows for testimony to, to come in and to play, whereas any other time it would just essentially be hearsay. But now that the individual is, is involved in the crime, it really doesn't become hearsay anymore. It becomes testimony of, of, of accounts. So now these detectives rely on these snitches, CIs, paid informants of the like, and all the corruption that goes behind that, you know, can be broken down. But now these detectives, they pay these individuals, right? Or, or they, they, they coerce in, in the way that they do to, to receive testimony from people of crimes that are supposedly going on. And the detectives take all this testimony from these snitches that they have and hand them over to the prosecutor. The prosecutor forms a case against the, the, the individual. And, and from that moment on, everything goes haywire because it is... It just it can go in, in so many different directions. And, and what I mean by that is, is because conspiracy itself is so vague and, and, and ambiguous, it's, 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 it's how can I describe how the tentacles spread? You know, it's, it's just it's something that's put in place, right? It's something that's put in place and you don't know where it's going to go. It, it it can take you all the way to to a Colombian drug lord. It can take you all the way to a to a an overseas bank. You have no idea where conspiracy can take you because it's it's allowed to slither unannounced. It's allowed to just work its tentacles like in like like ether, unseen, un unsmellable, untastable. As long as it it's it's veiled in the secrecy that it's encoded in, and as long as that's not uncovered, you know, as long as the the, the ether, as you, as you may say, is isn't uncovered, it can take down a whole organization, and you'll see that in Fear City how 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 it all unfolded. It was a very very good three part documentary, and it just explains thoroughly how conspiracy 
can destroy our nation. That, because of RICO, that is, RICO is what shifted the element of guilty until proven innocent because conspiracy already makes you guilty and you have to prove your innocence against this conspiracy. And because that's been going on for so long now, now it's ingrained in our judicial system and it's, it's in everywhere we go now. Now you're automatically considered guilty and, and, and the, the traumatic experiences that, that evolve from that is a Breonna Taylor is is these individuals that get rushed in because now they're looked upon as co-conspirators. They're looked upon as somebody that's involved in a bigger picture. So now when these cops are doing these raids and these busts, they're busting in not on people that are in a house and there could be some innocent people in there, but they're they're pumped up and they're raiding a house filled with co-conspirators. And this conspirator may have dead bodies in it, you know, violence against police, whatever. But somebody like Breonna Taylor, who is, is yeah, she's made some bad decisions around people that she's, you know, involved in her life. Again, we can break that down separately, you know, but she wasn't a co-conspirator of, of anything. She would just... To me, from, from my knowledge, she was just somebody that was just trying to survive. And again, conspiracy takes away the element of that. And it automatically puts a whole group of people into a criminal element. So, RICO must go. We have to, back to the original point, we have to get the federal government out of crime especially drug crime. They have no business dealing with drug crimes. Drugs coming in from out of the country? Yes. Coast Guard, things of that nature? Yes. At the state level? No. No, not even if you're transportation across state lines. It's between those two states. But the federal government looks for reasons to step in. This is why... This is why now with guns, it's automatically a federal crime because they found a way to weave their way into the low-income housing units. Because if, 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 if you're a minority and you're in a low-income area or quote-unquote high-crime area, if you sell drugs, if you deal in drugs, you have a pistol on you. The federal government knows this. So they create laws. You know what? Guns is a federal charge. So now, if you have a, grunt, a gun involved in a drug case, it automatically goes federal. So they, they've created these tentacles to weave their way into, into everyday society. And that's not what the federal government is about. So there's, there's many angles that we have to attack. And here is my foundation and, and the national foundation that we're forming, NAFJAR, that's what we're trying to attack. That's what we're trying to, to bring notice to. And we're trying to also implement new ways for individuals to reenter into society. And, and what Oregon has going on is, is a big applaud. It's a big plus. So I applaud them for that. That's real talk. That's real stuff right there, man. That's a, bit, that's a power move. That's a big move.
to, to decriminalize all drugs, all drugs. This article didn't have the, the, um, the limit on it. Let me see if I can go to the limits that they have. I believe it's right here in this article, the original article that came out. Yeah, I think this is it here. So, I apologize. I'm just looking for the. And this might not have been the article. So let me go to this one. And this isn't it. Then, y'all just gonna have to research it on your own. But as I said, I know I've already seen, I, I can't find what the actual amounts are, but I can tell you that the amounts that I saw was, um, they're just they're just basic user amounts. You know, people aren't going to be running around with ounces and grams and things of that nature. It's just a small traceable amount to try to help stop I'm giving these 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 guys that have addiction problems, you know, tra trauma problems, you know, um, stop giving them more problems and ruining their lives even more by giving them a, a felony offense. So, big ups, man, big ups to to Oregon, and hopefully this this can be a, a process that flourishes and, and and good comes from it because we do need change. So. That's it. I mean, if you guys have any questions, I, I I hope I alleviated maybe a little bit of worry about some of the stress that may come with that. Again, I don't see a big influx of, of people, maybe some, you know, um, but I, I, I severely doubt it, man. I really think that all positive is going to come from a move like that. And it's something we we should have done a long time ago. So um, I hope I provided enough information to, to ease a little bit. Um, if you did have worry, um, so you can you can check the article out and let me know what you think. Until then, be safe, peace and love.